Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have David Allen with me. David is the creator of Getting Things Done, also known as GTD. GTD is the work-life management system that has helped countless individuals and organizations bring order to chaos with stress-free productivity. David wrote the international bestseller, Getting Things Done, published in over 28 languages. Time magazine called it the defining self-help books of a time. Fest Company magazine called David one of the world's most influential thinkers on productivity. Welcome. Glad to be here, George. Thanks. Thank you for being here, David. Um, what were you doing before you developed uh, GTD? Well, the, the methodology of GTD is something that just developed over 20 years of me doing uh, consulting and coaching and training work uh, in the professional world. Uh, before that, I had my own little consulting practice. Uh, before that, I had 35 professions. <laughs> Didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. So, of course, the, the consultant is about the only route to take uh, if that's, you know, what, if that's sort of your style. So, you know, I like coming in and, and assessing situations and seeing how can I prove it so people can get more done with less effort and then move on to the next thing. Then one day I, re I actually realized they actually pay people to do stuff like that. So I hung out my shingle and became a consultant in, I think, 1981. Let's, let's talk about the feeling of, of being overwhelmed. In your opinion, what are the reasons people, both in personal and in business life, often feel overwhelmed? They're keeping all the stuff in their head instead of externalized in a system and defined and objectified. And your head's a terrible office. It has no sense of past or future. So you tell yourself you need to buy cat food or you need to extend your credit line at the bank. And if your head is the only place keeping track of that and reviewing it, it's bouncing around like pinballs in a pinball machine. It'll wake you up at 3 o'clock in the morning about your cat food or about the bank, and you can't do anything about either one then. It, it really is not a it, – it's, your brain is really not designed for that. So what do we use then if, if our brain is not designed to keep all that information? How do we avoid all that? Uh, you, you can use anything that keeps it out of your head. <laughs> so write it on your wall. Write it on your arm. Uh, you know, put it, print it out. Stick it somewhere. The main thing is that you need to get it out of your head. Not just writing it down won't, won't fully solve it. It's a, that's a first step. You, because if you, a lot of people write a lot of stuff down, they just don't do anything with it or don't look at it or don't finish thinking about it, what they write down. So it still crawls back up in their head. So there is a formula that I uncovered really about how do you get stuff off your mind without having to finish it yet. Uh, and that's a five-step process that I uncovered. So, you know, that's it's quite simply, you need to capture the stuff that's on your mind. You need to clarify exactly what it means and what you're going to do about it, if anything. Like, what's the outcome and what's the next action step? You need to park those results in some sort of appropriate, organized, you know, set of categories so you can then step back and, you know, stage four, step back and look at uh, that, that inventory on some consistent basis. So then step five, you actually engage with something from a trusted place as opposed to, gee, I hope this is what I ought to do. But most people are still being run by the latest and loudest thing in their head because they're still using their head as their system. What do you think is the reason that so much of self-talk is negative? Well, I read a study many years ago that if you grow up in a healthy American home, 
you know, held whatever that means, but, you know, reasonably uh, sane, uh, you know, American home, about um, 83% of your feedback was negative. Don't do this. You'll hurt yourself. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then I, you know, later on, uh, the, the people who were studying the self-talk process uh, said that the typical adult does about 80 or 83% negative self-talk. So it, it makes sense that that matches up to how most of us were raised. Um, is that, you think that's part of the animal in us to have that self-talk to kind of keep us alive? I don't know. I don't know if that's it or not. I think that I, you know, you can't stop talking to yourself. So you're constantly doing it. The, the nature is, you know, what's the nature of it? You know, as I say, what if your friends talk to you like yourself? Hi, George. What an idiot. That was a terrible <laughs> interview. They, you weren't perfect. You said that word wrong. Oh, my God. Don't ever try to even wake up in the morning. You know, this is, this is a strange little animal inside of all of us. So I think there, you know, I think there's a, there is a proclivity or a propensity for people to want to, I think people want to uh, perhaps save themselves from disappointment. You know, the, the pessimist is never disappointed. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's kind of risky to step out there and say, I'm okay, I'm good, life is great, and let's go, here we go. You know, so entrepreneurs, you know, have to deal with that all the time. Uh, can you, you know, talk, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, uh, can you talk uh, a bit about the importance of focus? I think, uh, you know, we talked about uh, the feeling of, of being overwhelmed, and uh, I don't know how much of that is a lack of focus. Uh, can you give us an example of, of staying focused or, or how to stay in focus? Well, yeah, all you have to do is put yourself in crisis, and that handles it. You know, just, you know, set your house on fire. <laughs> You'll focus, you know, you'll live. Most people actually move into a high-performance behavior in a crisis because basically it, it puts you, it, it has you doing the behaviors that allow your brain to be highly focused. You know, you have a desired end result that is very, that you're passionate about called live, <laughs> you know, don't burn up. And you're constantly, you're then making next action decisions. You know, you have an outcome that you want. You're making next action decisions. You much like in software, you know, if you're technology oriented, it's agile programming. Here's where we're going. Let's start moving on it and then just dynamically steer. I take a step. I get feedback. I course correct until I get out of that building and live. That's focus. So that happens automatically. I think a lot of people let themselves get into a crisis modality because it, it, it reduces the necessity for you to think. <laughs> you don't have to make decisions. You know, uh, when, I talk, you. When, when I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, they kind of pride themselves on putting out fires. And I was wondering yeah. if, if wanting to feel that you're putting out fires is a way for them to just be more productive or, or feel like they're, they're able to focus better. Yeah, I think it is. I think it's it's you know it 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 galvanizes your necessity to focus to begin with, and it makes you feel important, you know, and you feel like you're getting stuff done, and it's you know it, and it gets you off your butt, you know, you get moving, you know, so that that I understand that. Uh, that's not the most effective way to deal with life. If you're making decisions when the heat forces you to make those decisions, they're usually not as good a decisions if you could make those decisions before the heat's on. Uh, so. You know, I, I, I think people actually need to learn to be able to focus and make decisions before, uh, you know, life forces them to. I have read that the average person looks at his smartphone about 150 times per day. Um, people log in on average to Facebook about 14 times a day. 
feels like that the culture that is developing is always focused on elsewhere instead of here. Why do you think that's happening? Well, I think it gives people a sense of control. It gives people a sense of belonging. It gives people a sense of, you know, fun. It's a, it's a fabulous way to avoid your life. Uh, you know, not that it's a bad thing. You know, I think social media, I, I relate to it like a cocktail party. You wouldn't want to spend your life in a cocktail party, but sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's necessary if you're trying to network. So there's nothing inherently wrong with any of that. Uh, there's really, you know, social media in a way is nothing more than the bulletin board in the laundromat. <laughs> you know, it's just a lot more, it's a lot more available and coming at you fast and it's kind of sexy and you've got all kinds of links that you can go down and all kinds of rabbit trails that can suck you in if you're not highly focused on what you need to do. So, you know, all that social media and all that, you know, the, the, the digital world as it's come on us is, is really a two-edged sword. First of all, there's, you know, all the way cool apps that are showing up every day. At the same time, it's this, you know, black hole, the Balkan Wars, essentially, of what the hell do I do with all of those apps and where do I put this and where does this go and, and should I, which one should I check and, and how often should I look at that? And, you know, it's, it's crazy. And it can be very, it can be crazy making very easily. But that's only because, you know, all it's done is surface uh, the, the, the fact uh, and the, the situation for people to let you know and give you lots of feedback about how focused are you. Yeah, I mean, does it, does it feel like that it's easier to be somewhere else virtually than dealing with the here and now? So it's just another way of the opposite of being focused on, on what needs to be done at the moment? Yeah, could could very well be. I mean, there are lots of ways that to avoid being totally present with with where you are and what you're doing. Uh, you know, if it, oftentimes it's the, you know the 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 people who procrastinate the most, people who avoid doing you know important stuff, you know, uh, are usually the most sensitive, intelligent, and creative people. Because, you know, talk about self talk. That it's the it's the thick dullards. It's this it's the insensitive people. You know, who go, who just go start hard charging because they're too, you know, insensitive to be aware of all the stuff that could screw up. But it's all the smart, sensitive, creative people that in a quarter of a second can generate huge phantoms and demons in their head about all the, all the things that might have to be done in order to do that thing perfectly and all the potential negative consequences if it's not perfect and they just freak themselves out in half a second. So, you know, that makes it very easy to want to run away from that. So that's why a lot of what I teach is about how do you take anything that's got your attention and identify it and identify the very next action step on it. Because that next action step, as simple as that sounds, that's the whole point. Get it simple. Get it down to something that you can very easily get a hold of and feel like you can win at. You know, in, increase your bank credit line. Great. Ah, you know, I, I avoid that. Wait a minute. What's the next step? Pick up phone. You can do that. Punch, you know, seven numbers. You know, see, see what happens. You know, and, and if you get it down to that, if you could stay focused on that, everybody's focused on something. But if what you can do is train yourself to focus on a doable event, you know, about any of those things that have your attention, that's, that doesn't happen, by the way, just because you're born. That's actually a trainable, learnable um, skill or behavior set. So breaking everything down into small, manageable chunks... Sure. Well, you need two things. The, the zeros and ones, ultimately, of productivity, are what does done mean and what does doing look like and where does it happen? So what does done mean? You know, that's equally important to break something down is to say break what down? What is it that you're trying to accomplish here? You know, what's your project? 
Is your project to increase your credit line or just to find out whether you can or not? Those are two different projects. So, you know, entrepreneurs need to feel more comfortable to say, I, I need to feel okay if they don't give it to me and I need to still create a win. In other words, I've optimized the possibility that I could extend my credit line. That's like in sales. I always say you always need to give yourself a game you can win. So instead of, you know, affirming and, and, and yeah, it's nice to have a vision that the client or the potential client is going to buy from you, but they may have had a bad day and you could still win as long as your project was to maximize their opportunity to buy. And that's, you know, that's a challenging thing for any salesperson to do, but that's something you can always win at no matter what they do. So you need to sort of define, wait a minute, what are the games I can win, the things I can finish, and define those. So that's defining outcome. That's, that's the zero, and the one is, okay, what would be my next step? If I had nothing else to do but that, where would I go physically? Would I boot my computer? Would I, would I surf the web? Would I call somebody? Would I talk to my partner? You know, what's the fixed, physical, visible thing that would start to kickstart movement? toward completion of whatever this thing is about. And those are master keys, but they seldom show up. If I, most, of, most people listening to this right now, if you have anything that looks like a to-do list, I'll be willing to bet you 99.9% .9 of you have an incomplete list of still unclear things. You'll look down on that list and see things like bank or mom or doctor. Well, good. You may have captured some things, but you have not defined, wait a minute, what's the specific outcome? I get to mark this off as done when what's true. What's the win here? And that's, that's your motivator. You, know, you need to build that into all those things that have your attention. Nor on your list will you, will you see very many, if any, very next actions. What's the next action on mom? Why is it on your list? Oh, it's her birthday coming up. Well, what's the project? Oh, I don't know. I guess we're going to give mom a birthday party. Fabulous. Now you have a project. What's the next step? Oh, I don't know. I guess I ought to call my sister. And that's the kind of thinking, as dumb and silly as that sounds, that most people are avoiding like the plague. I know I've spent thousands of hours with some of the best and brightest people on the planet, desk side with them, going through that process. Um, that that was really good, by the way. Uh, you know, it just makes me think about to-do lists in an entirely different way. Uh, it feels like there is so much more competition for our attention, so much more data out there. I'm not sure if we are smarter, though. Uh, how can we take advantage of all that's out there without all, you know, allowing it to become just a distraction or to make us dumber? Well, back to George, back to your original point. Stay focused. <laughs> what are you trying to do? You know, for some people, that may be exactly what they need to do for networking reasons or other things. But why are you doing it? You know, and that's tricky business because sometimes the thing to do is you need to, if you've had a bad day, you know, you've been in six meetings and you were beat up in five of them and your brain is scrambled eggs by 6 p.m., you know, that's not the time to call a potential client. <laughs> that's the time to surf the web and, you know, do Facebook and, you know, do all kinds of dorky things just to, just to relieve your own pressure on yourself. So you have to, you know, it's all about how conscious are you. You know, how, is this, why are you doing this? Is this avoidance or is this recreation? And I think that's important to know. You know, and that's, that, a lot of that's, well, how well do you know yourself and how conscious are you willing to be, you know, at any point in time. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Uh, do you think that our society is ad addicted to distraction? Uh, you know, I, I was, I'm wondering if, if, if distraction is actually just another form of addiction or, or an escape. 
Well, that's a good question. I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just guessing on it. From my experience, the biggest addiction is control, the attempt to control stuff. And I think when people feel out of control, they need to hop into something they feel like they can control. That's why people love to play golf or play tennis or, or, or play pinball or play computer games or whatever because you get to complete something. You can control it. You know, and, and I, think that, I think that's what people are, are most addicted to. I think that's also why people keep stuff in their head. It gives them a false sense of control. What do you think are the reasons for people staying busy doesn't translate uh, to being productive? Well, if you step back and say, well, what's the definition of, productive, of being productive? And say, well, do you produce something? Well, what are you trying to produce? If you go on a vacation to relax, but you are stressed out on your vacation, that's an unproductive vacation. I think people have a a little bit of a, of a preconditioned idea of what, they, of what productivity is. Productivity, in my terms, just is achieving desired results or experience. So if, you, if, you, if you're trying to relax, but you can't relax, that's unproductive. <laughs> you're having an unproductive experience. You know, so it, when you think of it that way, um, then being busy is it's all about, are you, is your busyness producing what it is that you've committed to produce? Uh, if you, if you, you know, some people being busy is a very healthy thing to do. You know, if you're, if you, if you have serious depression, sometimes getting up and being busy, no matter what it is, go wash the dishes, go, go, you know, take the dog for a walk, go do something that you can do because busyness then may actually be a very positive thing for you, get you engaged in something, you know, so you don't, you know, uh, you don't sort of self-absorb in morbidity. So again, it's tricky. I don't mean to be too flippant about this, but you, you really do need to ask yourself, well, wait a minute, what are you trying to produce? I, you know, the simple answer to that is sure. You know, there's a lot of people who are out there just into doing busy kind of work, but they're, the, that work is not focused toward a specific outcome. And they wind up just doing a lot of stuff. And say, well, why are you doing this? Well, I don't know, because I've always done it. Well, that's not a, probably not the best answer. Can you share your mind-like water way of thinking about productivity? Well, that came from the martial arts. I spent some years in the martial arts years ago, and it's a it's a great image. Uh, water sort of responds to things totally appropriately. You don't see water over or under reacting to things. It's appropriate response. You know, you throw a big throw a little pebble in the water. The water responds with a pebble response. It doesn't overreact. Throw a big rock, and it has big rock response, and it goes back to calm again, ready for the next input. So that idea is not overreacting or underreacting to anything, but being appropriately there. So it's another, another way of saying I'm present or being present with what, whatever it is that you're doing. So, you know, that idea is, you know, ultimately getting things done. And here's a big secret, George, for you and all your listeners, is that getting things done is really not about getting things done. It's about being appropriately engaged with your life and your work. Now, there's a lot to unpack about that idea of appropriate engagement. What does that mean? Well, you know, if you keep telling yourself, I need cat food, and, you know, it keeps popping into your head, you're not appropriately engaged with your cat or your agreement with your cat. <laughs> you know, so, you know, you don't have to go very far to see where to start to say, well, wait a minute, I, do I have mind like water yet? Well, ask yourself, what's still on your mind? You know, what's still popping into your head, distracting you, pulling on you, tugging on you, little, big, personal, or professional? You don't have to go very far. Just ask yourself, what's, what, do you, what has your attention? The reason things have your attention is usually because there's some decision about that thing you haven't made 
or you haven't parked the results of that in some in some systematic way so that you trust your brain can let go of it. Did um, I answer your question, or did I go too yeah. far afield here? No, it's actually great. Uh, it's great. Now, can you give me an example in your own business on on staying focused? What helps you stay focused? Well, yeah. First of all, zeroing out my in basket and all my new inputs every twenty four to forty eight hours, so that I'm not distracted or pulled uh, on by stuff that might be meaningful to me that might be more important than whatever it is I'm focused on. So I need to stay focused by keeping very current with whatever's new and 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 in my you know in, in my work and my life so it doesn't pull on me. And so that I also can then trust my inventory of all the options I have to do. And you know, so that's you know, basically I implement the five steps. You know, I I make sure I capture everything that's on my mind, everything that's popped in that's you know that that's potentially meaningful. I throw it into my own in-tray or my own in-basket, you know, both electronic as well as physical. And then I zero those things out sooner than later. What is it? What does this thing mean? Am I going to do something about this? Is this reference? Is it trash? Is it something I need to do something about? What do I need to do about it? Is it just a single action? Is there a project here? So I'm constantly making those decisions, essentially defining what my work is. And then that once that work has been reasonably defined and is reasonably current, then I need to be able to step back and take a look at the whole picture. Look, you know, I'm out. I've got a mobile phone. I, I, I'm waiting on a, a client to meet with me, but he's 20 minutes late. Uh, let me see all the phone calls I need to make that I've already determined are the next steps on anything I need to make progress on. So all those techniques and all of those, you know, those, 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 the results of having captured, clarified, organized, and reviewed all of my stuff is is how I stay present. As an entrepreneur, how often do you revisit what your vision is, what your goals are, um, etc.? As often as I need to to get those off my mind. See, there's, and, an, in, there's an inverse relationship between on your mind and getting done. So if you keep thinking, I keep, I keep you know, so I... When I'm playing with my dog, I don't want to think about my strategic plan. I need to have already thought about it. So it really comes back to what do I need to what do I need to keep looking at? Now, a more practical answer perhaps is that yeah, every so often it's a real good idea to pull those things out and take a look and say am I directed am I directing myself where really where I'm going to be and 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 how I want to be. You know, I would say, you know, I've identified in, in my book and my work, I've identified six horizons that we actually have commitments about. You know, on the on the ground level are all the commitments of actions you need to take, phone calls you need to make, cat food you need to buy, stuff you need to talk to your banker about, stuff you need to talk to your spouse about, et cetera. So there's that, that level called the action level. A lot of that action level is driven by your commitments on the next level up, which is projects. What are the outcomes that you're trying to accomplish? Oh, yeah, I need to extend my credit line. Oh, yeah, I need to make sure I get all my, uh, you know, all my checkups at age, you know, since I'm 50 this year or whatever age you are and you want to make sure you need to get all that handled and updated. That's a project. You need to give mom a birthday party, et cetera. So those are, that's the next level up would be horizon one, which would be projects. But the reason you have projects and actions, too, is Horizon 2, which is what are all the things you are committed to maintain? You know, what are the things you need to, 
to keep us up to certain standards. Well, I need to maintain my health. I need to maintain my finances. I need to maintain my relationships with people. I need to maintain my house. I need to, you know, maintain in your business. I've got PR and marketing and operations and finance and whatever. Those are not things to finish. Those are just areas that need to be maintained at certain standards. So that's the third horizon up, which I call horizon two, because the, the first horizon is really the ground level. Horizon three is going to be, well, okay, uh, where are you going in the next, uh, you know, three to 18 months? And that would be what most people would think about in terms of plans or objectives or strategies for the next, you know, year or, year or so. So that's oftentimes where you want to look at that. Uh, you know, where do we want to be by the end of 2015? Okay, what do we want to have true? Above that would be vision. Where are you going with this? Where, what, you know, when you really grow up five years from now, three years from now, whatever. You know, what would wild success look like for you, your business, your, your enterprise? And then above that, there's a horizon about what's the purpose of why you're doing all this and what really matters to you. You know, what's the purpose of your business? What's your purpose of your life? So, you know, those are all uh, relevant levels of commitments to start to identify. And so when you think about, well, how often do I need to look at those? I'd say, well, your daily, you know, your, your, you want to keep day-to-day control. You need to look at your calendar. You need to look at the calls you need to make. That's the ground level probably, you know, once a day or several times a day, you better revisit that. The next level up in terms of your projects, you probably better be reviewing those weekly if you want to keep in control at a, at a next level. And then the, the, your, your job description and what, you know, your org chart and how am I doing about all the, the aspects of my life in terms of life balance and making sure I'm monitoring all those every, I don't know, every, every month, every quarter or so. Not a bad idea to pull that out as a checklist. And then, the, you know, your goals, meaning what are you trying to accomplish in the next 12 to 18 to 24 months? Yeah, probably once a year and maybe quarterly revisit those, make sure they're still alive and well. Of course, correct on them if you need to change them. The big picture stuff, you know, hey, you know, where, where do you want to be? You know, what's our vision? Not a bad idea to do that yearly. You know, go off-site with your partner or your spouse or your family or we'll step back and take a look and say, hey, you know, where are we really going here? So those are, you know, those are generally speaking, you rise in the more subtle your commitments are. Probably you don't need to look at those every hour, every day, you know, but probably need to build them in often enough. So I'll, I'll come back to my first answer. You know, I tend to do those whenever I need to do those so that that pressure gets off my brain whenever that needs to be. Oh, come on, entrepreneurs, sometimes it be the big picture stuff constantly, you know, uh, especially if the tech world, man, those things, you know, a lot of people, especially if you're a- agilely building your business, you may come up with a very different product than the product you started with, as you probably know, George, I mean, I'm in that world. So, it, it re- you know, there's kind of a, it depends. <laughs> but those are, I think all those are fact. those are all the factors that, that uh, one should consider. Can you give us an example of, of how your company helps entrepreneurs? Well, what we do is we produce and, and facilitate the conditions for people to be able to flourish. We like that word because it really means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and it should. And in order for anyone to flourish, they really need to have, need to have clear space. They need to, have, they need to feel in control. They need to feel focused. So all of our work is, is, is to facilitate people uh, – being able to get into that space where they are in control and they're and they're focused and they have the capability to be able to do that in a maximum way, and you know it's very looks very different for different kind of people. As I say, if you're you know if you're 24 year old and you know full of juice and venom and, and adrenaline, flourishing for you may look like a 24/7 kind of week. You know that's because that's that's what you know that's that's your game. 
if you're 50 and just left a corporate job and going to sort of build your own little business that or the next thing you want to do and do, do that on your own, flourishing may look very different for you. You may have kids that are still trying to get into college and, and you know, a lifestyle that you still want to maintain. And so that's going to look very different for you. However, our stuff is universally available for both of those people to be able to do both of those things better with less effort. Uh, you know, the, the whole idea of productivity is being able to produce an outcome with less effort and less resources required. So being able to stay focused, be able to keep your eye on the ball, and to be able to allow your brain to not be distracted by the things that hold it hostage because you haven't managed those well, that's, that's what we solve. And, boy, that helps anybody. You have uh, managed to build an amazing brand. What are some of the reasons that GT, uh, you know, GTD stands out today? It works. <laughs> Sorry. It's good stuff. And one of the things, I did not go out to publicize GTD as a brand. It kind of was a, an accident, a brand by accident. It just really, you know, the methodology was developed over, and I tested it, researched it, used it for 20, 25 years before I was willing to sit down and write a book about it. I had to make sure there were no holes in it. And I literally spent, you know, thousands of hours with truly some of the best and brightest people on the planet that would spit you out in two seconds if you couldn't stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with that in terms of this methodology not being functional or not really working for them. And it worked without fail with everybody. So I figured, okay, it was time to write the manual for it. So I, I know that's not, that doesn't say much about, okay, how do, you, how do you promote and build a brand? I think, you know, one of the things we're, we've been learning over the last you know, two or three years ourselves is, you know, is... I think a real key to brand is authenticity. How authentic do you show up? Does And does, does what it is that you're putting out there represent who you are and what you're doing and what you're delivering? So, you know, I think because I didn't hold anything back, there's really not much guile, at least I don't think so, in, in my work. I, I, I wrote it all into getting things done into that book because I truly wanted to say, look, if I got run over by a bus, you know, maybe somebody at some point would figure this methodology out, but apparently nobody else seems to have done it the way I did. So I decided I'd just put it out there in that way. And, you know, part of it is, too, is I kept, I just stayed available. You know, I've done, you know, probably 99.9% .9 of every podcast, every interview, everything anybody ever wanted to uh, talk to me about this thing. I said, sure, because, uh, you know, if I... It, I care enough about it, and I suppose this comes back to what people would, you know, maybe generally refer to as passion. It's like I can't, I can't stop doing it. You know, I discovered this is great stuff. It, it improves anybody's life when they start to implement any version of this. So I can't hold it back, and you know, it's fabulous to have sort of created something that, you know, without fail, you know, is 100% bulletproof in terms of how that it works. So I don't know, maybe some combination of all of those things help. Maybe that's a long way to say, you know, George kind of beats me. <laughs> you know, I'm sort of bemused by it as much as anybody else. That's great. How much how much of your growth is global, and what kind of impact does it have on your business? Well, we're still a small little company. I mean, we're 20 plus people, you know, and and uh, you know, we're not we're we're still not huge. Uh, and but you know, our our. Our game, we, I think a lot of what we've been learning over the last few years is like stick to your knitting. In other words, what are we the best at? And try to, as best we can, find partners and other channels that can manage what we're not that good at. 
So one of those aspects was years ago, I, we discovered that this is very global methodology and the world had been knocking on my door since Getting Things Done was published. Uh, they've had every, you know, all kinds of people you can imagine say, gee, David, can I distribute your stuff in Romania? Can I distribute your stuff in Japan? Can I distribute your stuff? So we didn't really know how to, how to manage that. So, you know, our strategy has been to find partners who knew those who had much better capability and, and expertise than us in those kinds of channels. So we now have a partner who is, who's been setting up exclusive franchisees around the world for us, you know, for this methodology. So we're right in the middle of that right now, just starting to get traction. But we have officially and legally 50 countries now that are, that have, that we've signed, you know, license agreements with to start to distribute this. Still very small, but that's the long tail and the long game has been my vision, you know, that we would build a global, you know, uh, community of practice of best practitioners and trainers and people who really get this. Because it, it, there's no bias culturally or gender-wise or personality-wise for this methodology, and the world really needs it more and more so every day. Well, David, I want to thank you for coming on Success Harbor today to share your wisdom. Uh, how can people find out more about either uh, the franchise opportunity or about GTD in general? Uh, the website, gettingthingsdone.com. Just spell it all out, and you'll go there. Lots of it's fun. It's a fun site now, and you'll you'll see lots of stuff, lots of ways to play there. Everybody out there, go to Getting Things Done. Check it out. And again, David, thank you very much. I appreciate your uh, your your time today. George, my pleasure. Best best to all of you. Thank you very much. Bye.